Hello, this is Darren Alf from BicycleTouringPro.com, and today I have Ted Shred on the phone. He is the author of The Cycling Adventures of Coconut Head, a North American Odyssey. And if you've read any of the articles on BicycleTouringPro.com, you've likely heard me mention this book. Uh, it's my absolute favorite bicycle touring book of all time. There's a lot of books out there on bicycle touring, uh, but there's none, and I promise you there is none uh, like this book. Like I said, it's called The Cycling Adventures of Coconut Head, a North American Odyssey, and I really encourage you to get it. Uh, in the meantime, here is my interview with Ted Shred. All right. Well, uh, I guess maybe we can just start with you talking about where you were when you uh, started thinking about riding your bike around the United States. Well, it's uh, it was back in '92, so it's 1992, a few moons ago. But uh, it was summertime, and uh, I had a friend come over and tell me that he was moving to Alaska and selling everything he owned. And I thought, ooh, that sounds like a cool idea. So I thought I got to do something. So I went for a walk, and within about 15 minutes, I had come up with this plan to uh, ride my bicycle to Florida, and I had never done a bike tour. I was a cyclist, but <clears throat> only to the effect that I would ride, you know, here and there and back and forth, and, you know, I didn't race, I didn't compete, I didn't do long distance. I just thought, wow, I mean, I ride my bike about, you know, 20 miles a day, 25 miles a day. What if I just kept going? And so... uh Within a couple of months, I was uh, out on the road, and I left with uh, $160, no tent, no sleeping bag, a piece of crap bike, no bike shoes, no bike shorts, no bike gloves. I mean, literally nothing, and uh, just made it up as I went along, and it was the best thing that uh, I ever did. <laughs> how, how old were you at the time? I was 27. 27, yeah. Can, can you talk about the uh, letter that you got from your grandma before you left on the trip? Well, it's just, um, you know, just to summarize it really quick, it, it, it basically uh, old grandma Shred lived till she was uh, 99 years old, still used a push mower when she was 94, and she just, you know, she wasn't like an overly um, uh, happy woman, but she was a very content woman, and she talked about mind poo, and mind poo would be uh, the negative thoughts in your head. And really, when you think about yourself as an individual, there's lots of things that keep your heart beating, keep you breathing, all your systems work in place, and it's all natural. It's all just, it's always looking out for your best interest as a human being. And negative thoughts really don't look out for your best interest, and they're really not you. And the letter just told me to separate those negative thoughts from who I am. And once I did that, it was very easy to see that I can accomplish a lot more in life and do a lot of things, including going on an outrageous bike ride. Had she talked to you about this kind of stuff before the trip? Or did this just kind of, the, the bike trip kind of prompt her to bring this up? Well, I think it just prompted her to... Uh, to bring it up, but um, I'd always, I, you know, it's not something that we really talked about, but I just always admired her disposition, mm -hmm. and just, you know, there's not, 
there's not a lot of people that are content in life with what they have. And I just think that's an admirable quality. And I tend to take my advice from people that uh, seem successful at whatever they do. And, you know, it's not best to discuss your finances with your neighbor. (laughs) It's better to discuss it with your financial guy. And so that when you're going through life, I always tend to take advice from people that I respect and that are truly living, you know, practicing what they preach. And I felt that that that, that was something that she did in life. Hmm. What, um, as you were starting the trip, I know one of the big questions that I get on my bike trips is like, why are you doing this? And yeah. what, what was your reason? Just because I wanted to go to Florida, I think. You know? <laughs> That's and, how it uh, started. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, I used to live as a ski bum up in Lake Louise in the Canadian Rockies, and uh, in summertime the uh, there's a lot of bike tours going through there, and I just thought that was so amazing that people would travel by bicycle. It's like no way, and uh, you know once. I always figured, too, you know, with any of these long bike trips, if it doesn't work out, you can always come home. Right. You know, it's not that you're, you, you have to follow through. And uh, I always like, you know, I've always liked adventure. I've always liked travel. And the bicycle is just such an amazing way to see the world. And so once it got started, I knew I was doing the right thing. And, and you know, one of the first stops we made was just over the U.S. border. Um, and it was probably, I think it was the second night of the trip, and it was like maybe 60 miles from where I started. And we were in a pool hall, and people were freaking out that we rode our bikes from Canada. You know, this is like day two. Like, yeah. you rode your bike from Canada. That's amazing. <clears throat> and so that, uh, you know, as we went along, it just people just couldn't comprehend what we were doing. And really, the real reason was just because, just because I wanted to do it, you know, yeah. without any real reason. Yeah. One of the things that, that happens in the in the book, though, is that uh, you're doing a lot of radio interviews and, and talking about what you call Enviro Ride. Can yep. you talk about that? Well, there was, you know, I, I mean... The mission, too, I guess, was that I'm just a regular guy on a piece of crap bike, and if I can ride my bike, um, you know, maybe I'll inspire people to uh, get out there and do something for the environment. And, you know, so much of the environmental message is doom and gloom, we're all going to die, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it really doesn't motivate people when you're depressed. And so that I just really wanted to show people that if this crazy Canadian could uh, get in his bike and ride with very little resources, that there's no reason why they can't do something in their own community. And I remember going, I can't, I can't remember exactly where it was. It was somewhere in the southwest U.S. And uh, we were camping on a farm, and this guy was going to get the mail, and he drove. And it was like 100 yards. Right. I'm like, what is wrong with you, man? So, yeah, it was about just hopefully inspiring people to uh, do something positive about the environment without being depressed. Yeah. And the title of your book is The Cycling Adventures of Coconut Head. So some people are probably wondering, what is Coconut Head? 
Uh-huh. Well, Coconut Head was uh, when my uh, father retired. He cleared, cleared out his office and he had this Coconut Head. There, and uh, I said, can I have that? And then it sort of became a symbol of fun and good times. When I first moved out of the house, it was the you know top of the Christmas tree, and it always seemed Coconut Head always seemed to be able to keep up with us when we were partying. And so I strapped this stupid coconut on the uh, front of my bike, and uh, that was the uh, good luck symbol or good luck charm for this trip. Right. Did that bring up like a lot of conversations with people that would see that on the front of your handle? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, first they thought it was insane to ride my bike around, and then it only added to the insanity <laughs> that I would carry this stupid coconut. And I mean, it just, it just it didn't hold up well in the weather, you know? And, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it 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 went along and um, and uh, sort of became the symbol of moving forward and uh, enjoying whatever the road throws at you. Yeah, I, I'll tell you a little story here myself. Um, my uncle is actually the one that discovered your book. He was up at some gift store up in Canada, and and there it was, and he grabbed it up. By this time, I had done two bicycle tours. And so he gave me the book. He read it himself first and then gave me the book. And he also gave me a coconut head. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and he insisted that I take this coconut head on my next trip so that I could be just like you, you know. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I, the, the coconut head only lasted about three days on my trip. I I took a spill in some mud and I guess I lost him and... And and that was the end of Coconut Head for me. So I'm glad well, you're. It's pretty funny. You don't get too attached to to the extraneous stuff on your bike trip. It only takes one good headwind, right? And you start to question every little item that you bring. So right. uh, I, yeah. I can understand your lack of detachment. To <laughs> but that's a very fun story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the things that also I just love so much about your book is like there's so many little nuggets in there that are like so absolutely true. Uh, some of them are about bicycle touring or bicycle travel, but some of them are just about life in general. And like one of the things that I got out of your book, uh, maybe more than anything, is that if you want something, that you kind of have to ask for it. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk about how that kind of worked for you on this trip? And... Well, yeah, I think that a lot of times we go through life and, and there's a lot of things that we want and we're just scared to ask for it. And, you know, the worst thing that people can do to you is say no, and then I guess the next worst thing is that you take it personal. Um, but a lot of times people will help you, and I, I really discovered that the nature of humanity is amazingly good if you allow the door to open to see that. And it's very easy to get negative in our society. And that really there's so many people that just want to help. And I think when, when when you ask for things, you're also showing that you're maybe a little vulnerable and you can't take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this whole world operates on everybody helping each other out. And, you know, if you think that you own a car and it's yours, yeah, but there was probably thirty or 40,000 people that came together to design it, to put the factory in place, to build it, to do all the parts. And it really helped me, A, 
you know, learn to ask for help, and B, when people ask me, I make sure I say yes if I have the opportunity to uh, to do that. And, you know, you were talking about uh, that was intriguing for you. I think probably the biggest lesson for me out of this trip was kindness, learning about kindness and unconditional giving. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first experience that really blew me away with unconditional giving is was in Portland, and I was visiting a uh, high school friend who was living down there, and he had a roommate who was a single mother. And this single mother, Tammy, found out that I didn't have a camera to take pictures uh, along the trip, and she gave me money to go to, uh, you know, like a pawn shop or something to buy a camera uh, so that I could take pictures and share it with people. The kicker was that she was 100% blind. And so here's this blind single mother giving me money to buy a camera so that I can share the trip uh, with other people. And it was really in that moment that I got what unconditional giving is. And it's completely changed my whole life and my, my outlook, and I'm hopefully a lot less selfish. And I find it very easy to help people. I find it very easy to help strangers and really to help people without any expectation of return. And, I mean, I'm a very anti-Christmas person because I think it's just very forced giving. And it's, it's uh, you know, you gave me a $20 present, so I should give you a $20 present. And it's giving for all the wrong reasons. And But when now in life when I find an opportunity to give, it's just so fulfilling and so exciting. And hopefully, you know, that's something that'll that'll catch on in the world. It's just there just isn't enough kindness in the world. And there were so many people that were kind to me on that trip, whether it was a meal or money or a place to stay or fix my bike or buy a camera or whatever it was, that it really opened my eyes that that's a very easy way to live. It's a very rewarding way to live. And you can touch uh, touch a lot of people in a really positive way. Yeah. I think... Um You've kind of touched on this a bit, but uh, you know, people helping you out along the way. Can you kind of tell some more stories, maybe just about some of the incredible people you met on this journey? Yeah, well, you know, it it uh, uh, there's two stories I want to tell. I ended up in, uh, you know, and if I'm wrong on this, I I, I mean this uh, as far as names and dates and places. I'm pretty sure it was Duck Flat, Oregon, and. Uh, uh, ended up cycling through there, was at the grocery store, couldn't find a place to stay, uh, someone that came out of the store, and ended up going to his house, or, well, it was his parents' house. And so it was uh, Grandpa, who was 87, and he quit smoking pot and drinking because of his three bypass operations. Oh, wow. There was Grandma, who, um, wait was she was a very big woman and smoked about three packs of cigarettes a day. There was a son-in-law there that was a paraplegic that smoked pot all the time, and he had this little silver tray that he kept under the couch, and then there's a 16-year-old kid there, Terry. And when we went in there, it was probably one of the first few times that uh, we had been camping. You know, we'd camped on farms and stuff, but it was one of the first times that we'd been invited into the house, and they served us dinner, and, you know, it was really nice, and then they started giving us stuff, and 
as a cyclist, you understand the concept of dead weight. And so they started giving us all the stuff, and we were accepting this and accepting that. And uh, she pulled out this really nice watch and gave me this watch, and I don't like wearing a watch. And I just felt that I had to, for whatever reason, stop the giving. And when we refused this gift, it they took it really, really personal, and the whole relationship that, of the visit completely went downhill at this point. And I realized that when people give you a gift, it's an extension of themselves. And when you're refusing the gift, you're actually refusing their kindness or their generosity, and it's kind of rude or it's, you know, it's just not a nice thing to do. So after that time, no matter what anybody gave us, I was like, thank you, thank you so much. And whether I passed it on to the next person or I left it at the grocery store, it just didn't offend people. And so that was a really big lesson for me is just when people offer you stuff, take it. Right. Yeah. And take it. (laughs) (laughs) And some people gave you some really funny things, too. I mean, I I know at one point I think you said somebody gave you a bag of pot or something. Yeah, well, we were in Humboldt County in uh, Northern California, which is quite famous for pot. And when we were leaving, like two or three neighbors came by and gave us like this giant bag of pot. (laughs) (laughs) So we found some hitchhiker on the side of the road, and it was just so funny because he just he couldn't figure out what why we were doing it or whether we were cops or what, and it's just like, hey, you, you smoke pot? Here you go. Have a nice day. And it would be so funny to run into him now 15 or 16 years later and say, what did you think that day when we ran into you? Yeah. But, but people were very, very kind, and I think that, uh, that uh, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of times we had to ask for help and we didn't want to ask for help. And I remember... You know, sleeping in a uh, drainage ditch one night and sleeping in some of the craziest places. And what I like about being on the bicycle every day when you wake up, you have absolutely no idea who you're going to run into, what kind of challenges you're going to face, what what, uh, problems will arise or situations. And it really keeps you living in the moment because if you start worrying about how far you got to go or what the weather's like or what your money is, and it just really keeps you present. And um, so uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but that's my point. Well, you know, on that same topic, though, I feel like maybe people that haven't traveled by bike or done this sort of thing, that's kind of like one of their biggest questions. Well, how can you do this when you don't know what your next meal is going to be or where you're going to sleep at night? Or, you know, there's all these, I I don't know, uh, people are so stuck in their, their own, you know, way of living, I guess. How do you get out of that if, if you're in that situation? Well, and I, how do you get out of it? Good luck. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, uh, change your thinking. You know, That's it. Yeah. Well, and it's really a personal choice for people, but I don't, I, I don't know. To me, um, I find there's great excitement in not knowing what's going to happen next. And I do a lot of traveling now. And I, I, again, you still like, I think whether it's you're on a bicycle or you're doing a long, a long trip when you don't have every hotel booked and every meal planned and every day planned is that you run into these opportunities to meet amazing people. And because your lack of schedule, you may meet someone and go, 
wow, you're really interesting. Let's hang out. Whereas when you have a schedule and all this sort of rigidity in your mind, it closes you off mm. to these wonderful experiences uh, that the world holds for us. And, you know, I mean, being routine is just... Routine is just boring for me. Yeah. So, um, so basically, you're, you're traveling down the Pacific coast of the United States through Washington, Oregon, California, um, and then you get kind of down into Southern California. How is that different than than the Northern California and and Oregon and Washington? Well, I remember riding into San Francisco and basically had been <clears throat> out in the wilderness for, you know, three weeks, uh, taking Pacific Coast Highway and, you know, it was a little busy, but not that busy. But coming into San Francisco and seeing eight lanes of traffic and that chaos and that hubbub and man, it really, it really threw me for a loop. I, 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 I just didn't expect it. And getting down into, uh, you know, Los Angeles and San Diego and stuff, it's just way too crazy to ride a bike a lot of times and uh, I can understand why people wouldn't want to ride in the Los Angeles area because it's just insanity as far as um, as far as traffic and, and busyness what did I think about Southern California I mean I remember being so excited coming over the Golden Gate Bridge thought that was a fairly major um, point that we had hit and uh, yeah. Oh, I, I, you know, the other thing, too, in Los Angeles, it had been a drought for like seven years, and we were in Burbank, and there was an earthquake. And, you know, everything's shaking off the shelves, and the people we're staying with are like, aren't you worried? Nah, it's just an earthquake. But it started raining, and it was like 24-hour news. You know, it's raining. Wow. You know, it's like this is a big deal. So I guess it's all perspective uh, when you're out in the road. But, okay. um I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of a hard question. I didn't answer that that well. But. Yeah. No, you did. Um, was this your first time in Southern California, really? Because uh, I kind of yeah. got that impression from the book. I, I don't know. Yeah, if I... I went to Disneyland when I was 12, and oh. uh, that's about it. So I hadn't really seen, I hadn't really seen much of the U.S. at all uh, before that trip. I'd been to Texas and uh, Disneyland, and that was about it. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the reasons your impressions of Southern California were interesting to me was because I'm from Southern California. Like, I lived in a town about 20 miles north of Malibu on the ocean. And then What's it called? Uh, Camarillo. It's oh, near, yeah. okay. near Ventura, Thousand Oaks, yep. which you mentioned in the book there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I kind of am so familiar with that area. And then when you got down towards Disneyland, which is in Anaheim, uh, and you're talking about riding on this canal, basically, that goes down the, we call it a river, but it's really just a concrete canal that goes out yeah. to the ocean, um, you know, and, and you're talking about jumping the fences. And sure, I, yeah, it's all coming back to me now. That's yeah, right. It's yeah, all coming yeah. back because we had to ride through Los Angeles. And I was so freaked out about ending up in the bad part of town. Right. Yeah, I just, for me, it was just so interesting because at, also at the time I was going to college in Orange, which is, it's like 
five miles to Disneyland, basically. So you rode like right past where I was at the time and everything. So I, I just thought your impressions of the area were uh, like, to me, I never thought about it that way. But then I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually like very true. Like, <laughs> you know, that, that bike path, I, I rode that every single day when I was in college. So I, I didn't think anything about it. But as someone coming there for the first time and also coming out of the forests of North, uh, Northern California and Washington and Oregon and all that. Yeah. I, it's such a shock, I think. And now that I've been everywhere else, I kind of realize, Oh man, Los Angeles is horrible for bike riding. Yeah. It's, it's a big stinky place. It's a pretty cool place. I like LA a lot, but, uh, not so much for bike riding. Right. One of the things uh, I think you talk about in the California section is this confused biker syndrome. And I had never heard it put this way, but I thought that perfectly described kind of what that was. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, well, that's just the, uh, it, <clears throat> I think it happens to any athlete after you've been out giving her for a few hours is uh, that you probably get a little hypoglycemic and uh, you, uh, just lose the ability to think and make decisions. And it's just an awful thing when both... I was riding with a girl at the time that uh, you, you... If one of you gets confused, the other one has to step up to the plate, or you're both confused, and then it gets really, really messy. And uh, it's interesting because it, pretty well on a daily basis, it would shift from person to person where... Um, one starts to lose their sanity, and you have to step up to the plate. You don't really have a choice if the other person loses it first. <laughs> yeah. And and so it's it's just you know it's just like when you're tired at the end of the day and you've been battling the elements, and then you got to go grocery shopping, then you got to set up your tent, then you got to cook something, and it just beats the living crap out of you. You know, I'm sure you can remember a few days where the crap was beaten out of you. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why when I read it, I was like, that That so perfectly describes it, because I've had that feeling, and I just never knew what to call it, or, you know? And so when I read it, I was like, that's perfect. Confused bikers. I was too, I was too confused to come up with a name for it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you mentioned here that you were, you were traveling with a girl, uh, Lisa, right? Yeah. At the time. And, um, what was that like traveling with her? I mean, neither one of you had experience bicycling, and and what was your relationship at the beginning of the trip? And can you talk well, about that? I had only met Lisa like a month before, and I had gone to a restaurant and I was flirting with her, and then we were just hit it off like house on fire. And I said, you know, I'm going away. Do you want to come? And she's like, sure, let's go. But what happened is we traveled along somehow she thinks that i controlled um the size of the hills and <laughs> the weather and i thought that would be so cool if i could control the weather but i can't and that what happens when you're out the road it's very very tough um on certain days and you just can't take it out on your riding partner regardless of what's happening you can be bitchy and you can be cranky but you just can't take it out on the other person and uh just found that a little frustrating after a while because it's just like you know what if i could control the weather it'd be sunny with a 30 mile per hour tailwind every day and i can't so just suck it up and deal with it and you know in life every adversity really defines people's characters and i, I i'm not uh, disrespecting lisa in any way it's just that certain situations bring out the best and certain situations bring out the not so 
not-so-good things. And certainly when you're out in the road in a, on a bicycle, you'll find out pretty quickly what kind of person you are and how you deal with adversity. Mm-hmm. Did you have any fears when you were starting the trip that you know, going with another person that there would be conflict or anything like that? Or No, not really. No. no. Okay. She was sexy. We had fun. Uh, my concerns i mean i was a 27 year old male yeah i I understand possibly be concerned about yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) so as you get down into san diego you get this offer to go to a quantum leap seminar what's quantum leap well quantum leap is kind of like uh um I don't know, how can I put it in? It's kind of like a spiritual group. Mm-hmm. And so that their um, goal was to get you to that space where you're just <clears throat> clear on who you are as a person and what's important to you and how you can achieve those particular things. So they had a conference there. They wanted me to come out and speak about my bike trip. So I just got up there and rattled my mouth off about why I was doing it and what I was doing it and that that, uh, that it was just something I just decided to do and I went forward with it. And I think sometimes, you know, in life you'll run into people and they're doing something that they're really passionate about and it doesn't make sense, but you get uh, energy from them just because they're following what they think they should be following. And when they're passionate about it, it just... Uh, it, it breeds enthusiasm, and I, so I think it went over quite well at the conference. Yeah, yeah so, so basically you, you were in San Diego, and you got this offer to come out and speak in San Antonio, Texas at the Quantum Leap Seminar, and I don't know if you want to go into too much details as to what happens, <laughs> because I feel, like, I feel like this is where the book really you know, takes off, and you know, I don't want to blow it uh, for everyone. But, well, uh, how about we'll just give them some hints? Yeah, uh, there was a nurse from Texas that asked me to go hiking naked. <laughs> yeah, and that was pretty fun. And and that- uh, and, uh, and then and then uh, there were some some adjustments in the riding situation. <laughs> yeah. Is that speaking in circles enough for you? Yeah. No. I mean, I I really do feel like I don't want to talk anymore because. Because that really, uh, you know, for me at least, I think that's where the book takes off. And, and um, so, yeah, uh, well, if you, if you want to find out what happens, go get The Cycling Adventures of Coconut Head. Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. What has your response been like uh, with the book? I mean, what, what well, kind it, of... It, it ended up, uh, it was a Canadian bestseller. Uh, and I got on uh, a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, local radio, TV, and print stuff, and I got onto a couple national shows in Canada and uh, did some interviews in the States. And what's so funny is I did an interview with a syndicated radio station uh, about the book, probably in 96 I did that, and um, I just talked about the trip, and for whatever reason... They've been rerunning that interview over and over, and I think it's run maybe four times. Ah. It just ran about three months ago, and I don't even know where it's running. I just get feedback from a whole bunch of book orders coming in in one day. That's and, great. Uh, so, but uh, it was interesting. I mean, 
writing books is a tough business, and and you know it, it was about eleven months for that trip. It probably took me six months to to uh, write it and get it all put together, and you know another few months to promote it. And I think I cleared about eight thousand bucks on it. So it's not, yeah. it's not very much. Yeah. Uh, one of the things also I, I like so much about the book are these drawings that fill, I mean, every single page, there's a drawing and I'm guessing these are your drawings yeah. are in here. And, and I don't know exactly how to describe it, but on every single page of the book, there is a drawing of the characters that you've met out on the road, things that have happened. And these drawings, have, I mean, no offense by this, but they look like they could be they could be by like a third grader or something. Uh, but that's well, when I first got the book. I thought I thought this was like a children's book because of the drawings. But yeah. then you get into it, and uh, and I mean it's just hilarious. Oh well, thank you. The uh, here here's probably the biggest thing that came for me out of this bike trip is that. Uh, um, to make money, we started doing a, a newsletter, and and uh, and we were just doing photocopies. So I just did illustrations. And before this bike trip, I had never done any kind of writing. I didn't even finish grade 11 English. And so uh, it was my mom who said to me, she said, "Whatever you do, I ask one thing of you: keep a journal." So I started keeping a journal, and then all these crazy things started happening, and it became good content as well as I'd never illustrated before. And so I did these illustrations, and so that was really cool because I really enjoy illustrating, and I've written, uh, I wrote a second book. And um, the, uh, it took me about six weeks to illustrate it, and sometimes I wonder if I just write so that I can illustrate. Hmm. But uh, the other part that came out of it is I got a radio broadcasting job, and uh, it was something secretly that I'd always wanted to do that evolved out of this trip. And I think what was so exciting for me is I uncovered all these parts of my creative personality that I never knew really existed until I took this big leap of faith to go on this trip. And I think that, that that's what happens when you get out of your rigidity and say, you know what, I have this calling in my heart to do this particular thing. And when you go and follow that, then all these other interesting people show up and you find out skills that you never had. And that's why it's so important to follow your heart when, when something comes up in your life because it'll take you down a path that you could have never predicted and that will be really rewarding for yourself. Yeah, that's something I, I think I've always kind of felt about my trips is that like I don't really remember the miles that I've put in, but it's it's the thing, I guess, that happens to you afterwards or maybe during the trip that kind of changes you. And 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 that's really what these trips are all about, uh, just setting that stuff into motion. Well, and a lot of times bike touring can, <clears throat> for lack of a better joke, is a pain in the ass. And uh, <laughs> your days can be so tough. And I have to tell you this story about cycling in Thailand. So I went in uh, 90, when was it, uh, 96, and cycled England, Thailand, Australia, and New Zealand. And so cycling in Thailand is absolutely insane. It's not considered a third world country, but man, it has some crazy traffic. So let me just paint a little picture for you of what it's like to ride down the highway. 
first the traffic goes opposite to what you're used to, right? Okay, yeah. so that's one issue. You don't want to be veering left when you should be veering right because you'll be dead, right? The next thing is that every the way they drive there, if you are pulling up to an intersection to make a left turn, everyone around you honks to let you know not to turn or whatever the heck they're doing. And so they have these air horns on the buses that literally hurt your ears. And I'm sure that in uh, North America they'd be illegal because the uh, decibels would be too high. So it just really hurts your ears, right? So you're riding down the highway. And then when you're riding on the highway on the shoulder, there's another system of mopeds. So the cars are going, and then there's mopeds going both ways on the actual shoulder. Oh, wow. Then... After that, you've got to watch out for the water buffaloes and the rabid dogs, because in Thailand, they're, Bo- they're Buddhists, and uh, they don't kill animals, right? So there's all these rabid dogs all over the place, right? And so when you're riding with your bike, it's pretty darn heavy when you got all your stuff on there. Yeah. So you'd be riding, and you'd see this pack of dogs, and you're just like, oh, shit. And, oh, sorry. Didn't mean to swear on your show. That's all right. <laughs> And uh, so the only way that we could deal with it is if you take your water bottle and as soon as they get close, you squeeze it as hard as you can up the nose of the, the dog that's just nipping at your ankles. And that's usually the alpha male. The alpha male stop and then the rest of them stop. So, you know, one bike would go in front and you'd sit in the back and come up with your tactics of how you're going to deal with the rabbit dogs and watch them sweat. And when you're on the bike, man, you've got your head down, you're pedaling as fast as you can. People are honking at you. There's mopeds coming. There's water buffalo. There's dogs chasing you. And then you get past the dogs and then you, uh, you watch your partner go through it. Hey? <laughs> so this one particular day, we were out riding, and um, we found that in Thailand, it was usually about n- over 90 degrees by 8 in the morning, right? So it would get pretty hot during the day, sometimes up to 100 with really high humidity. And that we would uh, try and get up, so we're just hitting the highway as the sun's coming up, right? So that we could be finished by 11 or noon, get a good ride in, call it a day. So we were riding... This is south of Bangkok, and uh, we got up to the town, and the roads washed up, washed out from flooding, and we can't get in there, and we're certainly not going backwards. And the place that we were standing is all the ants were being, um, you know, flooded out of the ditches or whatever, so they're just attacking you. I mean, there's just a bazillion ants, so it's like, well, we're not going backwards, we're not staying here, so we go forwards. And so now we've already done uh, a day of riding, and it's only like 1 o'clock. Now we're in the really hot sun. And we ended up at this gas station, and we couldn't communicate with each other, but it was just air-conditioned, and we were just trying to get our body temperature down because we were having a lot of problems with heat stroke and Mm -hmm. dehydration. So we're hanging out there. This van pulls up, and it's full of monks, and this monk gets out of the van, goes over to the cooler, buys like these nine little drinks, goes over to the counter, pays for them, splits. And we're like, hmm, that's interesting. So I go and look at it, and there's these little bottles. And it's all written in Thai. And, uh, but you could tell it's just like vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E. So it must be like some kind of Powerade or Gatorade. And they were like 75 cents each. So we're like, all right. So we had a couple of these things, cooled off, and we just zinged for the rest of the day. You know, we did another 15, 20, 25 miles got a place to stay, 
woke up the next morning, really felt terrible, had a couple more of these things zinged on. So we did this for a couple of days, and we'd be really feeling really terrible in the morning, but the vitamin drinks helped. So <clears throat> we got into, uh, uh, oh, it's just off Surat Penny. I can't remember the name of the town. And uh, it was usually about 8 or $10 a night for a room without air conditioning, but we were so hot, so heat stroke, that we uh, decided to pay the big money, 20 bucks, and get an air-conditioned room. And about 1 or 2 in the morning, it was so hot in our room, and we were just, you know, you just at the point of snapping or tears or whatever. And so I go down to the front, off, uh, to the front desk to complain that we need another room because the air conditioning's not working. And uh, as soon as I walk out into the hallway, I realize that the air conditioning is working fine and that we are just so uh, overheated that we just can't get our body temperatures down. So we stopped riding for a few days, and we finally found someone who spoke English that knew what was in the bottles. It turns out there's barbiturates in there. So we were doing speed going down the highway <laughs> while we're heat-stroked and dehydrated. Needless to say, we didn't recover for about a month from that sort of uh, little adventure. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was a trip, man. But, you know, my point was is that you have these really crazy, challenging situations, and at the moment they may not be that great, but, boy, they sure help you later in life, and I can go back and enjoy it, and I can tell that story and realize that no matter how bad my day is, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. That day. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so what have you been doing since you finished this trip? And uh... well, when I came back, there was a radio station called the uh, Z ninety five point three, which is like top forty radio station in Vancouver. And Vancouver is a pretty big market; it's just about uh, two million people. And as I was riding back across the country, I updated this lady at the radio station she goes wow you're really crazy you should be in radio and i'm like yeah i shouldn't be in radio and so as i was coming back across canada i was thinking how can i get i don't want to you know go to school for two years and i don't want to go work in some little piddly market and uh you know be the dj so i came up with this idea for a traffic bicycle and uh i wrote out like a 30 page presentation and i compared how much it costs to ride a bicycle, to riding a helicopter. I figured out the fuel per hour and cost of peanut butter sandwiches per hour for a <laughs> biker. And I took it to the uh, program director, and he got about four pages into it, and he said, great, let's do it. I'm like, really? He said, yeah, let's give it a try Monday morning on the morning show. And I'm like, yeah, can't we just try it like late at night or something <laughs> so there's not so much pressure? And so I went out and I did the traffic bicycle, and they still had, like, a regular traffic reporter in the station, and I just sort of gave the uh, bird's-eye view from the street, and it just turned into this really crazy character that was out in the road. And I did that for a couple of years, but I still get people come up to me and say, you're the traffic bicycle, man, that's so cool, I used to listen to you. And for the whole two years that I was there, I never cheated on my bike, you know, I always rode my bike, and... You know, when you're used to riding 30, 50 miles in a, in a day, if you go out for three hours and you just put your head down and you just crank, you can cover a lot of miles. And people were just blown away that there is this guy out in his bicycle doing traffic reports. And I'd warn of, you know, like there's a lady with lipstick on her teeth or, 
you know, I'd find a bumper with a license plate, and I'd say, oh, yeah, if this is your license plate, I found your bumper. You know, like, just really silly stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it, 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 it was amazing. And so that worked out really well, and then I ended up uh, publishing book, and then I went and did that other bike tour, and when I came back, uh, there was a new TV station opening up, so I became, like, a breakfast host, you know, like those breakfast shows, and I was the uh, guy out in the street, did that for a while, and uh, then they laid off everybody at the station, and the crazy guy goes first, and <laughs> I think I'd, I'd had my fill of uh, fame and fortune, and it was a lot of fun, um, but I went back to school for multimedia, hmm. and uh, just learned about new emerging technologies, and while I was at school, I was offered a, uh, well, there was an opportunity to shoot pictures for a tourism-based website. And I'd always shot video. I used to videotape skiers uh, on vacation when I was up at Lake Louise. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I went in, I said, well, I only have, you know, video demonstration uh, to uh, show you. And they looked at it, and, oh, yeah, your video is great. Can you go up here to to uh, take some pictures and I said sure and then I walked out and I thought geez I guess I better buy a camera if I'm going to be a photographer did that for a while and then I just ended up doing a lot of uh, MCing of um, uh, adventure events like the 24 hours of adrenaline I'm not sure if you heard of that one yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Sea to Summit Adventure Racing which is a Canadian based race and uh, then I wrote this um, other book Grandma Knows the F Word and it's a book, uh, I went, I was <clears throat> looking for a book on fun, because I figured there's always got to be more fun in life. There's got to be books on it. There's books on love and business and how to feel after the love, before the love, in between the love. And I feel that having fun in your life is the most important thing, because if you remove fun, then nothing else really matters. If you're not having fun in your relationships or your job or your day-to-day -day life, that if you don't have fun, you don't have nothing. So if there's no book wrote this book and uh, went around and, uh, you know, promoted it. And I put this website up, discoverfun.com, to promote the book. And what turns out is that I just got a, a whole bunch of traffic with people with fun. And so that worked out really well for a while. And uh, I needed to shoot some video one day for the website. I bought a video camera. And ever since I purchased a video camera, I've been booked ever since really? uh, with photography and shooting video, and I got really lucky. Here's the power of intention. Last, Not this last December, but the one before, I wrote on a piece of paper, I want to have a client that I travel, I stay in fancy hotels, I eat fine food, and uh, I hang out with fun people. Like three weeks later... This guy phones me up and says, uh, you know, he wanted me to do video work for him. And I said, sure. And what he does is he teaches independent restaurants how to uh, market their business. And he does it all over the U.S. Mm. And so it ended up that I started going on these trips with these guys. And they go, you know, to uh, resort base like Phoenix or, or um, Orlando or whatever. And they go on all these restaurant tours. And we stay at these great motels. And it's just like, it's crazy. It just I just wrote it on paper, and this guy showed up. And what's so nice about the bike trip is that it humbled me. So that when you're biking, and uh, the weather's crappy, and you go and get a hotel, you're not going to be staying 
at the Marriott, you're going to get Motel 6 or Motel 4 or 3 or 2, <laughs> maybe right. even Motel 1, right? <laughs> but when you get to Motel 1 and it's got a shower and a bed and a remote control and a TV, you think you're the king of the world, man. Yep. So now when I go into lousy hotels, it just... Oh, jeez. Can you... Yeah. Is it okay if we stop this for a second? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, right, I'll let you hear it. That's my ring on my phone. <laughs> Nick, he's got the contract to uh, run all the venues for the photographers for the 2010 Olympics, and I'm trying to get a job at the Olympics. Oh, wow, that would be great. So, But what's Take, happening you know, now, basically, in a nutshell, is I'm a restaurant photographer, and uh, most of my clients are in the U.S., and I'm just having a great time. They're a fun bunch of people, and I uh, continue to learn stuff and grow and uh you know, I, I just uh, I was just watching something on PBS about keeping your brain young, and the best thing that you can do is go on new adventures and try new things and not be rigid. And so uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Wow, awesome! Well, I don't want to take too much of your time. I know you're busy, um, but I just and I know we could talk for you know, hours more probably. I, I, but uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. Sure, if I could just leave people with a couple of words. Yeah. If you're thinking about bike touring, just go. You can always come home. You'll get totally fit. You'll have amazing experiences. And uh, I, I'm pretty darn sure it'll change you for the rest of your life. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ted. Um and we'll have to talk later, I guess. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. And uh, next time I'm out your way, I'll uh, I'll look you up because uh, I may be passing through in the summer. I'm not sure, um, but if I do, I'll certainly come look you up. And yeah, that'd be you're great. You're always more than welcome to come up here and stay and check out Canada, and we'll take care of you. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> okay, cheers. All right, thank you so much. I'll talk yeah, to you later. Okay. All right, bye. bye.